Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. I'm your host, Celine Chenoy. Thank you to all of you who return every week to tune in to become a better version of yourself. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already, and rate our show if you enjoyed this episode. Religion has evolved over the past few decades. More and more people feel disillusioned with or detached from organized religion, but they still long for a deep, rich inner life that's defined by purpose, meaning, and reflection. My guest today, Thomas Moore, says that we don't have to live an exclusively materialistic and rational lifestyle, and that we can develop our own personal spiritual style, either inside or outside formal religion. Thomas is the author of 24 books, including the number one New York Times bestseller, Care of the Soul. In his youth, he was a Catholic monk, and later on, after receiving a PhD in religious studies, he became a university professor and a psychotherapist. In his work, he brings together spirituality, mythology, depth psychology, and the arts, emphasizing the importance of images and imagination. He often travels and lectures, hoping to help create a more soulful society. Join me for this fascinating conversation where Thomas shares his thoughts and how we can personalize religion and make it our own. He offers several conventional and unconventional pathways to access mystical experiences and integrates spirituality into our everyday life. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hi, Thomas. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. It is such an honor to speak with you. Your books have had such a profound influence on my spiritual journey, particularly your book, A Religion of One's Own. Um, Yeah, (laughs) you can see my copy right here. Almost every page is underlined and dog-eared. Um, because it caused such a huge paradigm shift for me and really opened my eyes uh, when it comes to the many different ways that we can experience spirituality. So I'm just excited that you're here to share your wisdom with all of us. Well, thank you. It's it's uh, it's one of my favorite books too. Uh, I think uh, I think I'm especially I especially love that book because the uh, uh, transcendentalists here in New England affected me so much in writing it. Uh, Emerson and Emily Dickinson and uh, Thoreau, and I, I love their their approach to life. Right, right. Yeah, it definitely seemed like you were in a completely a, a different headspace when you wrote this. I mean, I yes. mean, it really comes through in the writing. Good. <laughs> okay, so um, so let's start started by talking about you know, the title, A Religion of One's Own. Um, So your definition of religion is quite different from what people are familiar with. Could you please share your version with us? Sure. I've been studying religion all my life. Uh, I grew up in a Catholic, Roman Catholic family, very very devout uh, Catholic family. And I, I lived in a monastery, a Catholic monastery, for 13 years of my life when I was very young. So I know institutional religion, and I loved it. I loved being a monk. 
But I changed a lot when I left. I left uh, that life when I was about 26. And, uh, and I studied religion pretty carefully then, you know, the religions of the world. And I began to, to, to learn, to discover that, that religion doesn't mean being a member of an organization. That's one way to look at it, but that's not the deepest way. I think the deepest way is to be somebody who is asking the, the really basic questions and taking life seriously and, uh, and uh, interested in, I'm interested in all the spiritual traditions of the world, and I've studied many of them uh, to, to an extent that I can. And, but I think the main thing is searching for the, the deepest issues, you know, what it's about and how to live. And so uh, I find the answers in not only in the religions, but also in depth psychology. Uh, some of the great psychologists, especially someone like Carl Jung, uh, who really didn't, didn't, wasn't really a psychologist so much as someone who pursued uh, the meaning of life very seriously and intensely. So I would call his psychoanalysis a kind of religion. It had a religious overtone anyway. So as I continue to expand my notion of religion, to me today, religion really means the way you live. If you live in relationship to a sacred world that has a dimension of infinity to it that you can't understand, and you, you actually live that, that living of it to me is the religion. Okay. It's not just an idea, it's the living of it. Okay. When you talk about a dimension of infinity, what does that feel like? Are you talking about a mystical experience? Because that's um, something yes. that's a lot in your book. Yes, I am. I think we could all be mystics. I don't think mystics are, are exceptional people. We can all be mystics. Whenever you stand out at night and look at the stars and wonder what it's all about, you're being a mystic. Uh, whenever you go and walk in a garden and get captivated by a plant or a flower or an animal, I think that moment, in that moment where you're you're outside of yourself and you're captured by it, that's mysticism, and that's part of religion. Yes. So it's that sense of wonder and awe, like wow. Yes. Yeah. It's very important to have those feelings because if you don't, you live in a very small world. And and I don't think it's possible to live peacefully with each other on the planet if we have that small world where I have to take care of myself alone. I think that mystical experience opens you up into a bigger sense of connection to the rest of the world. Right. But don't you think that the way the modern world is set up, it kind of um, dampens that sensibility in us. I mean, we had it when we were kids, but as we grow up, you know, the rational mind takes over and, you know, we have so many demands on us. So in a way, people lose that. Lose yes, that. I think that's a really beautiful point. Uh, children have religion naturally. They really do. I think, I'm not saying they're all religious people all the time, <laughs> but I mean, they have these moments where they are naturally religious, where they just, they can surrender themselves to the magic of the, what's happening in the world around them. 
-hmm. They're something other than themselves. They're open to almost anything. But as we get educated and we learn how tough the world is, we become jaded and cynical. And I think we lose that natural religion. And that's so important as a basis for any kind of religion at all. Yeah. And unfortunately, there are some people who view that as being naive or some tree hugging kind of way of living. You yes, know? I've, I've met those people. Yes. <laughs> and, well, uh, I get I get accused of that sort of thing sometimes, sure. not too often, because I try to present my ideas in a very solid way as much as I can. But um, it's true. But it's easy to be open to that kind of thing. And maybe some people do have a rather superficial way of, of doing what I'm just describing. But I think it can be done in a very uh, adult, uh, serious, uh, intelligent way. Yeah, and you provided the perfect languaging for it because I have felt this my whole life. But when I read your book, you know, it gave it some shape and form. Uh, you know, whatever I felt when it came to having more soul in your life, having more depth. Um, and you talk a lot about infusing soul in everything yeah. that we do. Um, you write, without soul, we feel a hollow emptiness and vague sense of being lost. So, could you explain what you mean by that? What do you mean by soul? I think there's much more to us, first of all. That's the first step. There's more to us as people than what we intend and what we understand and what we can explain and our ego, you know, in trying to look out for ourselves. There's something deep within us that's quite mysterious. And I think that we can be guided by that inner sense of things. If you can... Uh, trust uh, the movement of your heart and your intuition. Uh, and if you can uh, allow yourself to have a lot of experiences and not, not be afraid, but to really allow life to happen and to shape your life according to what you feel, you sense that life wants of you, then I think that you you, that's where your soul is. It's, it's, it's you, but it's other than you at the same time. If you're cut off from that, all you've got are what people tell you in the media yeah. and you know what everyone else thinks. And that's not right for the individual. The individual person needs much more. Right. And so when you talk about soul, you're talking about having that sense of self. A deep sense of self that is that it's it's paradoxical. It's weird to say maybe, but it's other at the same time that it's yourself. It's mm -hmm. that you go so deep into yourself, or it doesn't even have to be that deep. Just a sense that um, you might have the sense sometimes that you just shouldn't do something. You know that you had that feeling, or you may have a, a a regret and conscience about what you have done, or you may uh, notice that life is shaping you somehow that things are happening that are mysterious and, and odd, like meeting people that you become very close to or maybe even have a very deep romantic relationship with. You meet by accident. And so accidents and uh, the magic of everyday life is also part of being open. Being open to that is having a soul. Mm, okay. And how do we develop that sensitivity to all these coincidences, these synchronicities, and kind of interpret 
it in a way that makes sense to us, that we see the pattern. Okay, well, the first step is an odd one. It's a strange one. I learned as a monk, monks are taught to, to resist the world. You know, they they create these monasteries and go and live their own life and their own community life. And they often talk about the world out there, like they resist the world. I think that all of us, to some extent, have to resist being caught up in a world that doesn't have soul. You know, so you, that's the first step is say, I'm going to be a little odd. I'm going to be eccentric and unusual. I don't care what people say or what they think of me. I'm going to be different from the crowd. And that's the big, that's the first step of turning toward your own soul. That you, because it's the soul that makes you individual. Mm-hmm. That deep inner life of yours makes you a real individual. So to sustain that, I think you have to all along the line have this idea. Well, I'm not just going to be what everyone wants me to be or what the culture says I should be. I'm going to follow my own my own guidance somehow of what I of who I am. And, and go my own way. And that's a first step toward it. Then I think we need to have people in our lives who, who value this approach as well. I know it's been very important for me to have certain friends. I don't have a lot of them, but I have some who appreciate this approach to life. And being in touch with them and having conversations with them helps sustain it quite a bit. And the third thing I do I, I, I put a lot of stock on uh, learning, uh, to learn. There's so much to learn about this way. There's so many people in the past who have done this. We can learn by le- reading the lives of so many interesting people who have lived this way to, to follow their own, their own direction. Like I said, I paid a lot of attention in writing this book to Henry David Thoreau. People no. thought he was crazy because... He spent half his time in a canoe. Yeah, he, he was kind of in the woods. He lived in yes. back in the woods, completely isolated, right? He did. He spent yeah. a lot of, most of his time in the woods yeah. and in his canoe wearing his hiking boots. Mm-hmm. But then when he came home, he would write. He reflected. That's a part of it, too, to express yourself, to be, you know, through art or through words or some somehow to express yourself so that you deepen your reflection. You don't just live moment to moment, but you take time out to have deep conversations with people, or you write things, write some poems or write your thoughts or a diary or something that keeps the reflection uh, going as you live. Right. Um, Writing was huge for me. I mean, it definitely um, was a reflective exercise for me. So I mean, besides that, what what other practices do you suggest? Like, I know meditation would definitely be one of the ways. Well, I'm you know, I, it's funny. I'm not too big on, on formal meditation Me the way either. people <laughs> usually do it. Uh, I'm more interested in. Well, I, I I I usually talk about contemplation, and what I why I do that is that uh, I think that our meditation is better when it's. Uh, in the world, it's not we're not cut off from the world or cut off from our bodies. So to me, to contemplate, like for, I live on a little lake here in New England, I go out in my rowboat, and that's one way in which I contemplate. I, I'm in the water and I look at the water, and I'll go out by myself sometimes and just float around. That's to me is a very deep form of contemplation. 
And it's true. Uh, what behind what you're saying there is that um, we get a lot of this soul and this inner life, this spirituality, we get it from the natural world. The natural world, in a sense, infuses it into us. It, we get it by osmosis, by being close to the natural world. And so I think that's a more important form of contemplation than, than sitting by yourself and trying to meditate properly. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather be there in the world. I, I meditate by playing the piano. I study music a good part of my life. So I play the piano, and that's my form of meditation. Right, right. So being immersed in the right environment and doing the kind of activities that kind of bring that out in you. That and the, the, It's the activities that you love, because if yeah. you love them, it means they're yours. So yeah. you don't want to do things that you don't love or that are not you. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing you want to do is do things um, that that really satisfy you, that make you feel good, and allow you to lose yourself. Mm. So you, I can when I play the piano, I, I the phone may ring, I may not even hear it because I'm so absorbed in it. You're in that, that flow state, right? Yes, being absorbed in the world, something outside yourself, mm. is part of this practice. Yeah. And you write a whole chapter on art being a gateway to spirituality. And honestly, it's one of my favorites because for me, art is huge. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just uh, let me first of all, let me read one of the one of the lines from that chapter. I absolutely love this line. Art is sacred because of the distance it takes us from our literal world. Isn't that what religion is about? Springing out of our habitual pragmatism. Just, I just love that line. Um, so I'd love to know one or two of your most memorable experiences witnessing or creating art. Well, my art, I have two arts primarily, uh, the art of writing and the art of music. So uh, I have to say one of the most extraordinary moments of my life uh, I, I studied composition when I was in uh, college and in graduate school. And uh, I remember I wrote this uh, music for, for a choir once, for a, for a male and female choir, big choir. And I had had it um, you know, in my desk and had it around in sheet music for a long time, but I had never heard. I knew what it sounded like because I had written it. I knew what it sounded like, but I had never heard it. And one time I went to a university where the university told me they were going to perform this piece of mine. And I, I arrived there at the rehearsal hall and I got out of the car and I heard from the window, through the open windows, I heard this choir singing music I had written years before. And it was the first time I'd ever really heard it, you know, physically with my ears. I've never had a moment like that in my life that was where I just felt like just out just taken out of myself like I would, when people say you're in the clouds I know what they mean because I just felt I was lifted above all the concerns of the practical world around me and it just made it just did so much to me to hear that sound at that time yeah. and of course the other thing is in writing is uh, <laughs> writing is funny because I write a book I've just written a new book now and and I'm worried about it. I, I don't think it's, I don't know if I wrote it well enough. You know, I don't know if it's, if it's really going to work. I have all these worries about it, about the book. 
And then when the book comes out, sometimes, usually, a few pages really speak to me. Like I think, wow, where did that come from? Yeah. And to read to yeah, read that as a writer, that's really pretty good. Yeah. So those are those as personal experiences, those have been important to me. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Sometimes I go back and read my old blog posts and I'm like, wow. Yes. <laughs> right. I think because you become a kind of conduit for all that information, you're channeling it. Right. And you don't even realize. Um, that's right. So that what I'm describing there is my own, you know, my own as an artist, what yeah. my experience of art. But of course, to hear great art and music is is just overwhelming. Yeah. And so for me to play every day to play some music by some really wonderful uh, composer, mm -hmm. uh, classical music mainly, and it just transports me. So I think that the art does, you know, it serves religion. It may not be religion itself, although I'm not sure about that. But it uh, it does serve re the religious spirit. Like it, it it helps us reach that place where we are beyond ourselves. Right, and one of the reasons why I love this your cha your chapter on art is because I had one of the most mystical experiences in my life when I was a 12 year old. I went for a magic show and. I was so blown away by what I saw. After that, I had this out-of-body experience because I was elevated to such a level of wonderment. And for the longest time, I couldn't explain what I felt. I was like, that couldn't be a soul experience because I wasn't in a monastic setting. I wasn't in a temple. I wasn't in a church. So I was like, what was that? What was that, that feeling that I experienced? And then when I read your book, it all made sense to me because what I witnessed, that was a transcendent experience for me because I was so blown away by the performance. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, and I just love the fact that you, you say in the book that anything can bring that, can induce that mystical soul experience. That's right. Uh, I, I happen to have a, a tremendous respect for the religious institutions and traditions of the world, all of them. And oh, yeah. my own, my Catholic uh, upbringing, you know, I have great, great respect and, uh, for that. But at the same time, it, I think I learned from the religions to see religion taking place outside those traditions in ordinary life. So in nature and in art, and an everyday experience, like to see once in a while, I'll just see someone meet someone who is so giving to the world and gives themselves so much. And I think to myself, this is a saint. So I don't need to have just the saints of the, of the church, but also the saints of life that I meet, that are, these are holy people who have learned to give themselves so uh, selflessly. Yeah, and you you definitely encourage people to explore religion, their own religion, but also other uh, yeah. religious and spiritual paths. Um, but what advice do you have for those who uh, don't know where to start? Because there's so much, right? That for, in your book you give so many great um, uh, options in in terms of different spiritual paths that they can explore. But where do they start? And um, if they feel blocked, what do they do? Like, for instance, if they came from a very rigid 
institutionalized kind of upbringing? Like how do they how do they break through? It's very very difficult to do that because those things are uh, they're, they're, they're you know they come into us as children. Uh, we have all these ideas of what religion is and should be. It's very hard to break loose from those things. I mean, I, I know that very well. I grew up in a very, very uh, rigid, in a way, rigid religious organization. It was wonderful for me, but still, it, it really is very tightly put together. And it, it took a lot for me to, to move away from that. And what causes it? I mean, to some extent, I'm afraid that it's life itself giving you opportunities. You have to be open-minded and have an open heart to uh, get, take a risk, because it is a risk, to say, well, what I believed all my life, I want to expand. I don't want to reject it, but I want to expand and yeah. deepen what I've had. And so if you notice something that appeals to you, uh, I think the thing to do is to pursue it and take, go where, where it takes you. Like, for example, today, some people are really taken by the words of uh, Rumi, the Sufi poet. Oh, I love Rumi. Yeah. You know, so people, oh, that's great. And some some people might say, oh, everyone does that, and that it's sentimental sometimes. Well, that's all right. Um, if something appeals to you, and this is from another tradition, then that's a sign right there that it's something for you to take more seriously. And don't be, don't be too superficial with it. Study it a bit. Try to find out who Rumi was and look at some of other things that he said besides the things that you just came across. Pursue it and re realize that he's part of a whole tradition and there are other people who were in his own community that are also wonderful poets to read. Try them. And then you start expanding beyond that to maybe another culture entirely that's similar. I, I always encourage people to read the Tao Te Ching from China because mm -hmm. it's so easy to read and it's so helpful and inspiring and gives you a foundation for a, a deeper life. So there, and then as you go, it's endless. You don't have a, you don't have enough time in your life to do it all. There's so much that you could do to fill your life. That is very true. I think people just need to get to that place of being objective and open-minded because I think yes. religion is such a touchy topic. People are so emotional and yes. sensitive <laughs> when it comes right. to uh, their religious beliefs, and rightly so. But I think I think getting to that place where they can they they are open to exploring other ways. Um, I think that's. That, that's what well, I think that's why it's also important for uh, me and my colleagues and you and uh, all of us who are interested in these things to find ways to make them better known mm -hmm. and to give some guidance and a direction of where a person might go, what they might want to, to read or experience or listen to or look at, like an image of some kind. Uh, uh, some things have to be taught. You know, we just have to have somebody to point them out to us. Yeah, I mean, I I honestly, this was such a novel concept to me. It's like, it wasn't until I read your book that I actually could find a way to to express what I felt and to really feel okay about exploring other pathways. So, I mean, yes. I, I'm and sure you know, that a lot of it, people... 
I mean, I, I'm always recommending your book to people who, who, who I feel like are searching, who just feel a little bit disillusioned with uh, with religion, you know. So yes, exactly, and uh, uh, you know, it's true that uh, that religion has been taught in in ways that are not good. It's been, you know, pe- people have been taught from childhood that other other ways are not good and they're false and. All this emphasis on truth, if you notice in my books, I never use the word truth, like I possess the truth or anything like that. What we are doing is we're deepening, exploring, and trying to find we're on the hunt for for a way of life that is deeply satisfying and that leads you to a a deep sense of ethics where you really live in the world in, in a way that is useful to others and and uh, open and kind and all these things that come from uh, from finding your path, right, right, and it, and it's and you do it in such a in such a liberating way, you know, as opposed to uh, religions that tend to be very fundamentalist and they kind of constrain you and your way of being. Um, for some people, it might work. I'm not saying it. I don't know. It might work for some people, but I think most people, I mean, I'm a millennial and I, and I think millennials are, they're searching. They're definitely searching. They're looking for uh, other options, other ways of accessing a deeper spiritual way of living. And uh, I think, uh, I think it's great to know that there are other ways to do it. Yes. Otherwise you become defensive right? and that weakens your own, your own position, you know, to be defensive and protective, to be, what's the word, xenophobic, you know, afraid of the other, or to be uh, close-minded to other approaches. It's That's, that's not an expression of strength. That's a weakness in your, in your own position. So to be able to be open without losing what's important to you. Uh, I think that people who are very attached to their religion, whenever I say that, I think of my parents who are good Catholics all their lives. And um, I think it's wonderful, whatever they had. And it was a much more, much narrow, narrower approach than mine, but it was rich. And I'm not, I don't think mine is any better than theirs. But mm-hmm. it's different because we're living in a different time. And so uh, I really treasure people who have uh, a, a church, a religion, a, a way of a way of you know that's fixed and somewhat limited. It, that has its own value, but right. but but if, when it gets defensive and aggressive, then it it yeah. becomes weak. Yeah, it's kind of like you get into ego mode, like my way. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they're able to achieve that depth and really um, yes. access to spiritual mystical experiences, you know, it, it, it works. That's right. 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 Thomas, uh, I mean, we could talk all day. <laughs> I, yes, just, I think so. But yeah, I think we better end it here. Thank you okay. so much for your wonderful and profound insights. Uh, Thank you, Celine. A pleasure. Um so for those of you who are interested in knowing more about Thomas and his wonderful offerings, you can visit his website, thomasmoresoul.com. Uh, I know that you have a new book coming out as well. Yes. I have a new book out uh, on May 25th, uh, 2021, uh, called 
uh, soul therapy. I've been a, I've been a psychotherapist uh, a good part of my life, and I I write in this book about how, how therapists can deepen their work, and also how every person is a therapist at times when you have uh, deep and important conversations with your friends or family members. It's been so wonderful talking to you, uh, Thomas, and I so appreciate you being here with all of us. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it very much being with you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.